Well, it's been a while, but welcome back to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Skinner, and with Bez still locked up in Melbourne and Tim busy in Vanuatu, I'm joined by Emerging Cricket contributor Tom Grunshaw making his podcast debut. Welcome, Tom. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Nick. It's a, it's a pleasure. And starting this year with a nice big interview, we're joined by an EC favourite, uh, UAE captain Ahmed Raza, another debutant on the podcast. Welcome, Ahmed. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, yeah, great to be on the show. Now, you're just back from training with the UAE team. I can see your collection of cricket helmets in the background there. Um, give us a bit of a rundown of, of how the team's been going in terms of yeah training and, and prepping for stuff and, and just staying fit in, in a time when there's not a whole lot of cricket going on. Yeah, I think after uh, after a dry 2021 and 2020, obviously, because of COVID, uh, I think this, this year holds a lot for us as UAE cricket team and and I think overall, uh, for uh, there's there's a lot of cricket for associate uh, members. So we are, at the moment are preparing for our World Cup qualifiers, which is next month in uh, in Oman. So that is one of the one of the biggest fixtures we have this year. So right now, all the focus is uh, going into that, uh, preparing for for obviously the qualifiers. But we've got uh, World Cricket League ODIs as well. So so the training has been. Uh, you know, normally when you're leading up to a tournament, you, you're focusing on one format. But uh, right now we are juggling between 50 overs and T20, which uh, I mean, it's it's interesting how, you know, how your all mental approach towards the game changes. Uh, but I mean, that's that's how the fixture is. So, you know, you can't do really uh, much about it. But uh, it's, it's just we have to cover all the bases and be ready for, for the tournament next month. That is something that I find quite interesting in, in um, top-level cricketers in the way that they prepare for different formats and just adjust their game to, to play differently in different kind of conditions. So what are some of the things that you guys do differently to prepare for T20 versus uh, a 50-over comp? I think with with T20, obviously, the intensity of the game is quite high and your fitness levels have to be really high. I mean, a T20 game can be more tiring than a 50-over game because of uh, because of the pace of the game and if it goes down to the wire, sometimes you're mentally so drained as well. So I think, I mean, with, with skill-wise, it's better if you prepare more towards 50 over. You get your overs, in, uh, you know, under your legs. You you bat for an hour and a half, uh, and then when you go to T20, the or the only thing you're focusing on as batters is strike rate. You know, running between the wickets. So a more fitness element comes into play with bowlers. I think more skills, uh, more proactive in T20. You know, there are times when you get away with uh, with a with a half bad ball in 50 over cricket because batsmen don't want to throw their wicket either. So, I think with T20, you just have to be spot on. Uh, all the 24 balls you bowl and you know 120 balls in the field. I think you really have to be spot on. You cannot zone out in a T20 game. Whereas in 50 over game. Uh, we all know that you know there there are times when you know players are floating somewhere else and you know there's a different game going on in their heads. So Just standing at fine leg, looking at the crowd, yeah, oh, yeah, you know, talking to talking to your own. You know, reserve players who come with a bottle of water, and you just have to stay with them. We've we've all seen that. So yeah, in in terms of training, I think as bowlers, if you focus more towards getting those overs in in your legs, I think that that really helps. And then you have to cover your bases with skills, uh, be that slower ones or yorkers or wide yorkers, and all of that. So that's a that's a separate skill set, a skill work you have to do uh, day in day out. I think that's that's something which which we've been doing, and you know, hopefully it all comes off uh, next month. Yeah, and as as a captain as well, I kind of want to ask this uh, do you find it different tactically do you have to prepare for different tactics between between the two formats definitely there is uh, you know it, it's just because the shorter format you you really have to be on your on your on your feet and I think more instinctive uh, decisions are taken in t20 game uh, you know as compared to 50 over games in 50 over games you you still have 
a lot of time to make a comeback in the game you uh, you, you know the opponents can be 150 for no loss but still you can bundle them out for 220 or something but in a t20 game when the team runs away from it it's very hard to get that momentum back and uh, you know even even with a wicket or two normally when the team gets going in a t20 game it's very hard to put the brakes on so with t20 i think in the in the field you really have to be uh, spontaneous um, follow your gut uh, I, i always say that that you know you just have to follow your gut that might be i mean i always say that in hindsight all the decisions look good or bad it's what you feel yeah. at that at that time and yeah. you you take it and i think that's that's how i lead and uh, again there's there's no decision which is right or wrong you know when you take it you just hope for it to be the right one at that time <laughs> so you you have a would you say you have a, a very intuitive captaincy style in in the way you lead uh, i i would like to believe so yeah i i am a very much a statsman as well i i like to know the matchups i like to know you know who averages uh, against what style of bowling and i i like love to know all of that but at the end of the day it's my gut it's my instinct which which i like to follow if my gut say that whatever batsman it is it's struggling against some sort of a bowler i won't mind throwing the ball to a part timer if that's the case yeah well we're looking back at the year that's been as as well as looking forward to the year that's coming and um you know a year ago on this day you were playing a a one day cricket series against Ireland um it was uh, one all and there was a covid scare and it was uh, quite a lot going on um what's it like you know after that there was basically no cricket until october and and that was some t20 matches so you know what what's it like uh going for such a long time between you know actual matches on the field and and you know i assume you train a lot in between but it's not quite the same as playing actual series so how do you stay fresh in those long droughts that happen with with associate cricket yeah i mean uh, it came up in my one of my social media memories that you know a year ago <laughs> we were playing a series against ireland so i don't know i, I had mixed uh, mixed sort of uh, memories with that because everyone knows you know what happened during that series we won the first game and then we were really you know i thought i thought we played brilliantly it was i think one of the highest uh, pace we've had uh, as as ua team and you know we we ticked all the boxes even though we had a covid scare before we started our first game as well we lost to actually our main opener the vice captain uh, but we still went on and you know beat the uh, island in that first game and we were locked up in the rooms for uh, for the next i think 10 days or so and then we managed to play another game and we we lost that game but that four match series was was cut down to two and then we had a, a long break we didn't play till october it's it's pretty hard and as you rightly said you know you can you can only train so much and then you you really want to be looking forward to a tournament or looking forward to a series you start preparing against them you you like for example if you're playing a series against ireland so you 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 imagining you know when you're bowling in the nets you imagine that you're bowling to paul sterling or you're bowling to andy balburnie so that's how you train and then you watch your videos so there's a whole lot of different things you start doing when you're preparing for a series uh, and when you don't have anything to look forward to it it sometimes can be draining but again fixtures and something which with you know we've I've been involved in associate cricket for so long there can be times when there's a lot of cricket and then post covid and uh, just last year as well i think we we really didn't play much cricket i think last year we played only six international games uh, in the whole year and a lot of a lot of our series we went down to covid and again you know we we we're not the only one who who got affected with this so it it's okay i mean uh, looking at this year i think we will very much compensate for for the cricket we lost in the last two years so it's, it's ironic in a way 
because it, it seems like with uh, the, the stadiums in Dubai and UAE, there's cricket on in the UAE every week, but uh, you, you chaps aren't playing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that that was part of the late summer and early winter when uh, when the IPL was here and the, the World the World Cup was was happening here. I mean, we weren't part of the World Cup. Uh, I mean, we don't we can't blame anyone, right? We we had to blame ourselves for not doing that and. Just before the World Cup, we won the series against Ireland 2-1. So it was even more uh, hurtful that we weren't part of the World Cup. Obviously, the World Cup was supposed to happen in India, but then it got shifted to UAE. But I mean, I live in Sports City. I can see the Dubai Stadium from my from my balcony. So you can <laughs> imagine what I was going through when I when I saw those lights on and uh, watched uh, Namibia play and Scotland play there. So it, it was it was challenging, but uh, again, we, we did, don't have anyone else to blame to. Where we we didn't qualify for the World Cup. We just have, I mean, I've said this before. We just, uh, I told all my teammates as well that we just have to channel this hurt when we go to the next uh, qualifier so we don't leave any stone unturned and, you know, we make it to the World Cup and we make it to Australia. Well, talking about that, you, know, you missed out on World Cup qualification for the T20 World Cup in 2019 and then that series against Ireland. Um, you know, one of the big things going on around that time was the match-fixing news and, and um, a number of players banned. Um, the verdict from the ICC came out during that series with Ireland after uh, quite a lot of senior players uh, were, were um, left the team, shall we say, in 2019, just before the, the qualification campaign. So I'm just interested in, because you know, you've been captain for a while now, and, and as a leader, you know, what's it like inside the team and inside the dressing room to hear about these stories coming out and, and knowing that teammates were, you know, were, were betraying you i guess you could say in terms of being corrupt so you know it, it's part of the rebuilding effort i suppose but yeah what, what's it like to find this all out yeah i think at the, at the time it was uh i mean everyone was angry everyone felt uh, as you said betrayed because you know we were we as a team were going in a direction and whereas we didn't know there were there were some players who, who weren't in that direction at all uh so it was it was quite hurtful it was uh, we we all were angry at it uh, but I think we've moved past it. It's been two years. And the only good thing out of that was that, you know, as a team, uh, even though it, it, it was the rebuilding phase for the next few months, but at least we were moving in the right direction with the right people, the people we could trust, people, uh, a lot of youngsters came into the team uh, because of that. And now they're, they're 15 or 10 odd ODIs or, and a couple of series old, and they're coming into their own now, which is, which is good. I mean, they're homegrown players. They're, they come through the circuit. So that is good. I mean, that if that had not happened, you know, maybe a lot of these youngsters wouldn't be in, in the setup right now. I mean, so I think we've, we've moved past that. And I personally don't don't like talking and giving them so much airtime because uh, they don't deserve it at all. Uh, you know, they they were part of the setup and they're not now. And people who are in the setup right now are, are the right kind of people and people who we can trust. And, you know, the person sitting next to each other, I mean, we, we all trust each other and we all... You know, are, uh, are heading in the right uh, direction with uh, with everyone with with one goal. Well, that that is one of the things I wanted to focus on was the the young players coming through. You know, guys like Palanipan Mayapan or, or Jonathan Figgy or, or Richie Aravind who've really shone in their opportunities, which, as you said, they might not have had the the opportunities or, or maybe at least not so early you know if if all that hadn't happened and that kind of focus on youth and and the rebuilding effort started with Dougie Brown and and um his kind of philosophy there and so just talk a bit about how you kind of 
got all these guys into the team and and the transition and and how that you know renewed the focus of the side in in terms of having some fresh ideas in the team yeah i think this was the the batch of uh, of the under 19 batch which played the last world cup so all these players were playing together for i think at least 2 years because they started playing the under 19s at the age of 16 so from 16 till 19 they all they all were one bunch and so aryan lakra who led the uh, under 19 world cup he's been part of the setup has has not made his uh, debut in any format yet but he's been part of the setup uh, mayapan has made uh, his odi t20 debut uh, i think he uh, he backed a four for against namibia just before covid hit uh, got another four for against ireland last year so he's, he's been amongst the wickets he's been amongst the you know leading performers rithya behind the stumps has been really good he's shown glimpses uh, i know sometimes his record may not show that you know what talent he really is uh, so hopefully hopefully he com- he comes good in the in the coming future because he's 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 a special talent figgy figgy got 100 uh, in at the under 19 mm-hmm. world cup against canada so all these players who became part of the, the setup they they were already in in the system but they were just not getting uh, the right breakthrough which which they got a uh, year and a half two years ago then went on to play the under 19 world cup and now been part of the setup ever since ali uh, khan is uh, at the world cup right now he's made it, he made his debut last year against ireland and he's leading the world cup uh, our world cup squad right now in west indies uh, aditya shetty was part of the squad ali Na- nasir is uh, who backed man of the match he's been part of the setup uh, kai smith has been part of the setup this is his second world cup as well uh, so they 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 new their youngsters coming through uh, the ranks as well the uh, there are three left arm spinners in in the current squad uh, ayan khan nilanj just and all of them are are very different to each other they all have their own strengths but they all are someone who are really coming up the ranks uh, there's rahul bhatia who who's who's young as well he's 22 he's been part of the setup as well been in and out of the team uh, i mean unfortunate for him his captain is left arm spinner so he's not been getting many games <laughs> but uh, but yeah he's he's one of the players i really think will be my successor in terms of bowling so there there's, there's a lot of talent coming through i mean and 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 this gives me a lot of joy because i came through the the age level cricket from uae i was born here raised here came through all the age level cricket i didn't i didn't play cricket anywhere else and i'm a proper home grown talent so i i mean this gives me the greatest joy to see people coming through the circuit through the system and you know staying here and then obviously taking the reins forward so uh, this is this is probably the most exciting time for for uae cricket and i've been around for I don't know dinosaur years now. <laughs> it's good to hear. Do you, do you find that refreshing in a way, given that um, quite often the UAE and uh, similarly some of the other teams in the Middle East are tarnished with a broad brush of being expat players? Yeah, I mean, but I mean, there has there has to be change made somewhere, right? If you keep relying on players coming from different parts of subcontinent, then you're never going to grow your own homegrown team. Uh, and I think it it started uh, a year and a half, two years ago, and now. eight or nine of these youngsters are, are contracted or semi-contracted players under Robin Singh. And I mean, if you only, you really have to be here to see how much effort and time Robin Singh puts in, you know, to these youngsters and the amount of time these youngsters are spending with, uh, with the, you know, with the, with the, uh, with the senior players, because they're so keen to learn. And it is very refreshing. And it's nice to see that, you know, we, we are not going to rely on players coming from outside. We, we're going to push our own talent who represented UA at the, under 19s or uh, under 17s under 15s whatever you know the age level cricket or the academy level the, and they come through the ranks it's it's very refreshing and uh, it's happened after a number of years 
I mean, when I played the under 19, it's only Rohan Mustafa who's who's playing. And uh, we were just talking about it the other day that apart from Rohan and myself, there's no one else who's playing cricket from our batch. You mentioned Robin Singh there and, and the transition happened a little while ago, the handover from Dougie Brown to him. Just give us a bit of a sense of the direction of uh, Robin Singh's tenure as coach compared to you know what Dougie was doing and, and how the two kind of flow into each other. Yeah, I've, I've always been very neutral about talking about coaches because, you know, they all play a part in your in your careers or in your development. Uh, and it's very hard and unfair sometimes to compare co- compare different coaches or different uh, eras. And I've seen quite a few. With Dougie, I think it was it was nice growth. We we made it. We retained our ODI status in 2018. And um, I think it was the first time we beat a testing nation when we beat Zimbabwe over there. So he had his share of success. Uh, and then I think this transition has been very smooth uh, from Dougie to Robin Singh. I mean, it, it, it really comes down to players, how you want to adapt and how you want to take on new ideas. Because every new coach comes into a setup, that coach is going to come in with his own ideas, his own vision. And, uh, and Robin Singh's position is director of cricket. So he's looking after us. He's looking after the 19s, the women's, the under-16s. So in that way, I think uh, Robin Singh's role is, is much bigger in, in terms of that. And uh, I think we all... Uh, took it well when uh, when we found out that Robin is coming over and then you know the time we've spent with them uh, and it was very important for me to to click with Robin uh, and for him to click with me because I think the captain and uh, coach's relationship is very important for for the team to go in the in, in one direction so I think that uh, that we managed to do it very well and uh, there's mutual respect, which is great. I, I mean, there, there will be uh, arguments here and there about teams or uh, about so many things that they can be. But it's nice that we both uh, come to a decision uh, in a fair bit of time. So, you, yeah, you, you've talked about the, the youth programs and, and the kids coming through. Uh, what are some of the pathways for young players and, and you know, I guess the development programs that the UAE uh, is running to get these young guys into the team because you know I, my uh, kind of thought is that if if you had all this talent here in the first place you know what where where were you hiding it you know where, why weren't they in the team already see that's a that's a tricky question and and the answer to it is we've lost a lot of players to uh, when they wanted to go and study in England or Australia or or New Zealand or or anywhere else or wherever their native country is be that India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka. Or... So we've lost a lot of players into that. But now with uh, with contracts, uh, because, you know, coming back to the senior team, because we retained our DS status, we were giving out contracts. We've made a living out of it. Uh, we are fully contracted players, you know, under the banner of UA. So now kids have seen that as well. Parents have seen that as well. And now they, after, you know, a lot of youngsters getting chances, now if uh, today a 17-year-old doesn't want to go to England and study there. They want to continue their studies here. So that they can stay and represent UAE. Now we didn't have that in the past. Obviously, if you don't have ODI status, you don't have contracts because your funding is strong. You you don't have enough money to have players on contract. But after, uh, I mean, since 2014, I think we've uh, we, we got our ODI status and we retained it four years later. So it's been uh, seven years since we've uh, eight years now that we've had ODI status. So we are we can give out contracts. We can have you know uh, players uh, uh, on training allowances and everything, and they're get, and they're getting opportunities. So if I was 17 or 18 years old, I wouldn't leave this country because I know there's a possible chance of playing for the country, playing an ODI game or playing a T20 international. So I think that's been the biggest motivation. And we've from the last batch, which which played in the in the 2020 Under-19 World Cup, uh, I don't think any player has left the country. And that is what used to happen. So we, we lost players to, 
to countries like india pakistan sri lanka new zealand australia england because they because as parents you know you want to send your kid abroad for studies because they don't see a future here but now it's different now they see a future here now they see there's you know your their kids can make a career out of it if they're good enough there are opportunities out there their the domestic level the domestic cricket is there you could be part of t10 cricket uh, ua has uh, announced their own league so they see all these opportunities and now they want to keep their kids here and we obviously we we pushed them to do that because a 15 year old comes into the system leaves at 19 you can imagine how much time we've spent with that kid as seniors we've done that we we gave them a lot of game time coaching staff has spent a lot of time so you're grooming a player from the age of 15 to 19 and then you lose them at 19 where you know you know that that player could be ready in, in a couple of years or if you're if you're a special talent you're ready already but but you don't stay in the country and it's very hard for us to to give them uh, the opportunity if you're not here yeah and i guess it's very important to be maintaining those those opportunities because you can see parallels i'm i'm thinking about hong kong in particular mm. where they they've they've lost their odi status and they've lost a, a lot of players and their their sort of talent pathway as a result I mean, that's that's the balance you need to have uh, you know you want to give uh, opportunities to the younger kids and younger generation because obviously they are the ones who will be hopefully representing you in the future but you have to keep an eye on because associate cricket has such uh, I've, i've said this so many times that the, we hardly play a game where there's nothing at stake or our careers are not at stake every time we we step onto the field we know that if we don't win we don't get to the qualifier we don't get to the qualifier we don't retain our odi status we don't retain our odi status we don't have jobs so everything has a has an effect to our end goal every game we play so we have to keep an eye on both sides you know we know that we will be up for this uh, retention of odi status because if you don't retain your odi status you don't get funded as simple as that so we know what we working towards and how we have to get there i mean there's there's obviously plans in place you know this, i mean this was supposed to be a, a a two and a half year cycle but now it's going to be reduced hopefully the games are not cut down because I think we've only played seven games in that uh, World Cricket League too whereas Oman has played maybe more than I think 20 19 20 games uh, so there's a very big difference but that's how fixture has worked so we, we really can't dig, you know dig deep into that but it's very important i mean uh, like hong kong uh, they, they lost so many players and you just don't lose players you lose your prime years babar hayat was probably at the peak of his career and they, they couldn't retain the status so and the world has been deprived of seeing babar babar hayat in the last 3 years uh, and the i mean it's it's really associate cricket is cruel man then you you can have one slip up and then you you're gone for the next 4 years yeah i mean and that's that's part of why we we follow it because it is there's so it's so exciting you know and and it's so there's always so much riding on it i guess one of the other sort of challenges you you talked about the the issue of people you know going overseas or or going over just to study um one of the challenges of living in the uae is the kind of strange dynamic of of people who live there but you know you you've lived there your whole life but you're not a citizen and and there's this whole social dynamic where i believe the majority of the country are not actually citizens in, in terms of people living there and and a lot of the yeah middle eastern countries have a, have a similar kind of situation and yeah it it is quite strange do you ever how do you know do you feel like an emirati even though you're not a citizen and and how does that in, interact with i guess the the rest of uae society in terms of how they view cricket and and cricket players yeah in terms of being being a citizen uh, that's part of this uh, this spoilers uh, from you know if you look at the gulf countries they they're not someone who's going to give you a citizenship based on your birth or the number of years you've spent so in terms of that yeah it is a little different 
you know that's why the the ICC ruling is such that you have to live in a country for three years, and that because you because I, so I was born here, but um, I'm still not a citizen of this country. But do I feel like an Emirati? I definitely feel like an Emirati. I, I mean, I'm more of a uh, more of a tourist when I go to Pakistan. Uh, <laughs> the home I've lived all my life here, and uh, you know my father, uh, my late father moved here in in the 70s, I think, right after the the independence of UAE, which was 71. So I think he moved here in 72, 73. Wow, yeah. So my father's uncle moved here way before that, and my my father's cousins moved here. All of them got married. You know, we all were born here. Me, my siblings. We all were born here. My cousins were born here. So in terms of living in this country, I think it's one of the best countries in the world to to live in. I mean, if you, if you look at the security, if you look at the education, you I think we're blessed with good weather as well. Good, good for cricket, yeah. yeah. Amazing for cricket. I mean, uh, we, we play cricket all year around. There's, there's hardly a off-season time. So it's, I mean, we're, we're blessed to be in this part of the world. And in terms of living, yeah, maybe uh, maybe. If you're living in Dubai, it could be on the on a higher side, but you know your salary packages are such that you know you can afford it. That's why people live here, and that's why there's such a high number of expats living in this country. And and I think there the more than 1.5 million Pakistanis living here, more than three 3.5 million Indians living here, and then you look at people from uh, from England or or the UK, the Australians, the Americans. It's a really high number, and it is a it, Dubai is a metropolitan city. You're gonna get you're gonna get all all types of uh, nationalities here, and that's that's the beauty of it. That being uh, a UAE-born Pakistani reporting to an Indian-born uh, Canadian or something like that. I mean, it's 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 such a, a multicultural place where I think everyone's equal, and uh, you know, there's there's not even a sight of racism or discrimination or any any sort of that thing which which you read elsewhere in the world. Uh, so in terms of that, I think we are, we are very much we are very much blessed, and I mean it's a beautiful place to live in. And in terms of the cricket scene and and how that relates to I guess mainstream society, if there is such a thing in the UAE, um, how much sort of penetration? Because there's loads of cricket that happens in the UAE all the time, but you know, does anyone pay attention to it? I think in in recent times it it has increased. Uh, we had a domestic tournament uh, which was hosted by our board, and that was televised on uh, on Arabic sports channel, which was called Dubai Sport. Uh, that and it was first of its kind. And and if you look at Abu Dhabi T10, that is televised on Abu Dhabi Sports, which is a, a totally uh, a, an Arabic channel. So you so we've started started targeting a different kind of audience. And uh, there are times when. Uh, Cricket news is published in Arabic news as well. So, I, I mean, these are steps you have to take to reach out to different audience and not only the expats living in the country. And there's an Emirati program going on where, where there are more than 100 kids, you know, coming in, coming through. So, they're, they're, they're every possible step which is being taken to grow the game within the country and get to the different societies and, you know, not only Indian or Pakistani or Sri Lankan or or UK or Australian. So it's it's important that we get to different societies because we have we have multiple of them. So it's it's important to get to every other every society and you know and the doors are open for everything and for everyone and from any nationality for that matter. Yeah, so we've talked about a lot of the cricket that happens in the UAE. Um what are some of the things that I guess the UAE team, that you know, the national team is often kind of quite distant from you know, all the private leagues and comps and, and um, full member series that happen. You know, what, what do you think could be done to try and improve the benefits for the UAE cricket scene and, and try and build some of those links? I know you guys played a T20 against Australia a little while ago when, when they were in the UAE. You know, is there more of those kinds of things being planned or, or is it just sort of keep plodding along with your, with the private leagues? 
Yeah, I think pre-COVID it was it was easier. As you said, we 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 played a T20I against Australia. Uh, we played T20 against New Zealand. That was not listed, but we got a game against New Zealand national team just before they were, I think, playing a series against Pakistan here. So when Pakistan used to host their cricket here, we we, we used to get a lot of practice games against Pakistan or Pakistan A or or the touring sides. Uh, that's how we got these games against Australia and New Zealand as well. But post-COVID, obviously, it's different because it's bubble life. And if we have to play against them, we have to go into a bubble. So we have to do seven days of isolation and then play one game. And that's, mm-hmm. I don't think budget-wise, it's suitable and feasible for anyone. So that has stopped because of all this COVID and bubble life. And I really hope that goes away. So we get get all those games as well because that, that really benefits us. As I said, you know, every time you walk on the field, you know, the stakes are high all the time. But if we get these games, we can introduce new players into these games. We can uh, we can see our youngsters, you know, make them play against big teams. Even when the IPL was here uh, in 2014, we played against Rajasthan, we played against Mumbai, we played against, I think, Punjab 11 as well. And now the last two years, the IPL has been here, but we couldn't play a game against uh, any of the franchise. But luckily, we had players in the system. So I was with RCB, Karthik Mepan was with RCB. Then last year, Karthik, and Zahur were with uh, CSK uh, and that's a whole different experience you get and you always come back uh, you know as a better player better thinker of the game because because of the time you spend with uh, with these legends of the game and legends of uh, T20 cricket so that's the plus of uh, of being in the UAE uh, when this cricket comes here you still get an opportunity to be involved in in some uh, in some capacity yeah I, I I quite like to follow up on that actually because there's uh, I mean there are a lot of private leagues that come through the UAE do you think there's more that can be done either at uh, the Emirates cricket board end or from their end to get you and your colleagues involved I mean obviously you, you play a, a bit in the the T10 but in in some of the other leagues as well yeah I think that's a wishful thinking to be involved in IPL there there's so many international players who you know who don't even get past the first draft so that's really a wishful thinking but but yeah definitely as I said I mean if you uh, if you can be part of it in any, in any capacity, even if you're spending those two months being a bowler, if you're bowling at Virat Kohli for two months, you're definitely going to come out as a better player. Definitely. There's no chance that, you know, you won't improve. But if you talk about other leagues, apart from IPL, I think, yeah, that that's where we should be involved uh, as players. And there were three of our players involved in, uh, in PSL last year when PSL second leg was, when it happened in um, Abu Dhabi. Mohamed Basim was involved, Sultan was involved, uh, Zahur Khan was involved. So, so that number should only get better in the coming future. And it's about giving, uh, getting opportunities. I mean, if you get opportunity, you know, then you can showcase your talent and, you know, you get picked and the scouts are watching you. You get picked in the other draft. I mean, if you, if you look at the amount you spend on any international cricketer, I mean, you could get a UA player and so much less money, but still get so much more out of it. It is upsetting and it is sad that, you know, the, these leagues don't really focus on associate cricket uh, cricketers much. Uh, I mean, I can name uh, so many players in associate cricket who could easily play in these leagues and do very well as well. I mean, if you look at Scotland team, why on earth George Munsey is not playing uh, any of the leagues in the world? He's one of the best players of spin. He's He can ramp, he can hit the ball a long ball. You look at Richie Barrington. He's he's a gun player. You look at Mark Ward. I think he he still managed to go, uh, get a few games in the T20 Blast, and he did well. And I think in the T20 World Cup, he probably conceded one boundary. Maybe I think it was some <laughs> some crazy uh, it was some crazy stat which which he had. And I don't think he went over 24 in any of the games. Yeah, he went less than a run of ball in six or seven games in a row, or something like that. It was something ridiculous. Exactly, that's a crazy stat. I mean, why wouldn't you pick him in any of the leagues? And you I mean, you'll be paying double as much for any other left arm spinner playing from a Test playing nation, but you're leaving out a player. 
and this is the great this is the biggest stage right you're bowling to all the test playing nations all the big teams in small grounds as well like charda so why why isn't he getting a game i think george munsey got i i know he didn't get big runs but he got he got 30 odd in in no time in almost every game so there's there's talent i mean these are only two players i'm talking about there there's so many players around the world around the associate cricket circuit who who really deserve a chance and and, and a proper go and then you know there's only you only need one player to go there and do well and then all the focus will come to associate cricket and and more of uh, more of associate players will be playing in these leagues yeah well this this is something that we've been saying you know all the time and i think you're being a bit uh modest there mate you know left arm spinners are in high demand i think you could uh, probably get a gig somewhere but uh yeah this is this is something that we've always you know basically as long as emerging cricket's been around you know the whole point is trying to you know highlight these stories and and you know all these players who who are playing great cricket and just not enough people are paying attention to it do, do you think the problem is just that there's still this kind of i guess snob attitude that oh well you're not from a test playing nation so you you can't possibly be good enough even though you know as you say on the field they definitely are good enough i'm not too sure what it comes down to to be honest because how leagues work and how franchise cricket works it you know you you have to show a certain number of players from certain number of countries so that you get broadcasting rights and you know there are broadcasting deals which can go up and down because of that uh, you know there's just there the so many elements to it and and sometimes you you do understand that but uh, that's that's not your fault and second i think in the recent years the, a lot more associate cricket has been on tv or stream which is good for the cricket which is good for our cricket because that, there are times when when i honestly feel that our cricket is so much more competitive than than the cricket we watch on tv so our cricket really deserves to be on tv it, we should be getting more broadcasting rights and if you're a cricket lover you're going to watch ua versus canada it doesn't matter if you know the players or you don't you, if you want to watch good cricket you're going to watch it so there's so many i mean you you don't only turn on like switch on the tv to watch virat kohli right you you switch on the tv to watch virat kohli playing good cricket and i think our associate cricket we play very very competitive cricket and it's it's worth watching and now we'll talk about the 2018 um, division 2 if it was on <laughs> tv that would have been the best uh, the best cricket tournament ever because i've never ever played in a tournament like that where there were so many highs so many lows and all our lives were dependent on there then how the emotions were riding high i think that's i mean but again that any of those games were not televised but at least in the in the recent past uh, there's there's a lot more cricket which is on tv which eventually will help uh, scouts picking players and it just gives you an identity uh, which which we all deserve uh, and i mean it it has taken its its own sweet time but finally it is happening at least it's it started with stream it's getting to television for in in a few countries and hopefully it just keeps getting better so i think we will we'll, we'll move along uae women's team they won their their qualifier the asia qualifier in november and they're through to the global qualifier there's a, lo- a lot of young talent coming through that team uh, what do you make of what's going on on, on the women's side in the uae yeah i think uh, again that uh, you know that credit has to go to robin to put in some real good effort with uh, along with najib who's the head coach of uh, our women's cricket but i think ever since uh, robin took over our women's cricket got what they deserved uh, there's a lot more training sessions we we see them there are a lot of games they're playing and their preparation before the qualifiers was spot on i mean uh, i think they were playing two games per week and they were training five days uh, five days a week which which is same as us and they really deserved it i mean the women's cricket is as important as your men's cricket uh, they have their own identity they have their own place in in world cricket and they deserve what they're getting right now and and because of that preparation we saw how they performed uh, i think uh, that game against hong kong 
that team a year ago or two years ago wouldn't have gone over the line. Uh, and it was so good to see because I was on the sidelines watching the whole game. And it was it was really, really nice to see that because I've seen both sides of it. So it's, it's it was really nice. And then eventually when they beat uh, Nepal in that last game, you know, they lifted the trophy. Uh, I think it's, it's happened. Uh, don't think it has ever happened before where we've won the trophy to move on to the next stage. So, uh, but again, job's half done. Uh, they're going to go to the main qualifier and we not really hope, but we really want them to do it. And we've never felt like that before. We really want them to make it to the World Cup because it will be a huge achievement for all the girls. And uh, and my partner Chaya, who's the the women's captain, and I think uh, her leadership has uh, was 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 amazing. Some young players coming through. I think Kavisha is my personal favorite. I think she she's gone in the field. She was doing long on to long on in ICC Oval One, which is a which is a huge field. She did that <laughs> for for about 14, 14 overs. I think after the circle was over, and she was bowling from one, and she she bowled her overs, and then she was doing long on to long on, which is a which is a long run. He was doing that. Isha was there. Isha uh, open, and I think Isha, the game which we had to win in quick time, she she got 30 of 10 odd balls or something, and some crazy thing. We were watching the game from Namibia. We were in Namibia at that time. So it, I mean, it was it's, it, it was really amazing how what what they did, and we really want them to make it to the World Cup now because the way they've been training, the way they've been preparing themselves, uh, they really deserve that shot at the World Cup, and hopefully they can make it. Yeah, and and as you said, the a lot of the players coming through are, are very young. You know, Samara Danidaka, who took uh, four for five against Nepal to to seal up the victory. She's she's fourteen, <laughs> skipping school to to play for the national team. It's you know it's you know a bit of a dream. Um, and you know Tieta Satish topped the runs. Kushi Sharma topped the wickets. Um, they're seventeen and nineteen. So it's it's the same as on the on the men's side. You know, they've got a lot of people coming through who are who are coming out of it seems like they've come out of nowhere but you know if you're paying attention you'd see that they were improving a lot over the last couple of years and you mentioned Robin Singh and, and giving them more preparation is it is it all just the fact that they have more preparation or you know what, what's the secret or where, where does this all come from uh, it goes back to preparation I think uh, if you prepare well for uh, for any series you know at least you're going into the series you know you're ready you know you're ready so even when you're under pressure in a game or if you're down and out in a game, you know that you've prepared well for this situation. You've been in that situation a number of times in the practice game you've played. So you know how to come out of it. It's just how your brain works when you're under pressure. If you've never been in that situation, you you don't know and then you panic and then you lose it. But, I mean, I think, that, again, that's why I said the credit goes to Robin and Najib, how, how well they prepared it, how well it was structured, uh, you know, leading up to the tournament. I think they played five games against uh, a Sri Lankan academy which came down before the qualifiers and they won 5-0. And you mentioned uh, Khushi Sharma, Samara. I think, yeah, she's just she's just 14. I think in one of the tournaments, we had to take special approval for her to play because she was too young to be in the squad. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it was brilliant to to, to watch her ball and how, how simple she keeps uh, things. I mean, she just bowled top of off stump, which, you know, which you've heard it maybe a million times ever since you've listening <laughs> Started playing cricket, that top of offense. She she literally does that, and she does that very well. Mahika is another bowler, left armer, tall. She's probably about six three, six four. She, she's probably my height. A uh, very skillful left armer. Pushy Sharma. She, that's another interesting story because her brother made uh, his debut, Sanchit Sharma, against Ireland last year in October. Uh, so that was a that was a very beautiful story because Sanchit made his UA debut, and a month later, his sister made uh, her UA mm. debut. That was a beautiful family story there. Well. Clearly, you're paying attention to the women's side, and and they did get quite a lot of good home support. So, you know, how how do you think uh, you can build on that and and 
build the links between the men's and women's programs and, and I guess reach out to broader kind of UAE society? I think it comes down to different personnel, how you take it. I mean, I am invested in UAE cricket. So it's whether it's under 16 UAE or uh, whether it's our women's team, whether it's our under 19 UAE team, wherever I can help and I feel that I, I should be helping and I mean, you want to leave this place in a in a better place than where when you started. So, if uh, I'm I'm very open to to helping any of our squads, uh, under 19s or or women's, uh, and I do that whenever I have time. Or if I cannot make it to the training session, I speak to them uh, over WhatsApp or over a call. I I'm I'm always constantly in touch with the uh, with with the women's captain Chaya. Even during the tournament, uh, uh, you know, I didn't want to stress her out much and didn't want to pass on my uh, expertise a lot but if you, I mean they were doing brilliantly but whatever I could see from the ground and after that whatever I could see uh, from the live stream I I just stay in touch talk to her you know share my thoughts and ask her that you know what what she thought about that situ- particular situation so it's nice to talk to her about all of that and uh, and I'm and, and as I said I'm, I'm heavily invested in, uh, in UA cricket and for me UA cricket to grow at any level is is, is just pleasing and it just gives me a lot of joy. And in terms of women's sport in the UAE, what's the, um, I guess, place of that and, and how much of a, uh, a priority is that in UAE society? Because I, I know certainly in Australia and in England, uh, women's cricket has been a, a big a big focus and, and getting you know women and girls playing. And um, I, I'm interested in how much that is being done in the UAE as well. Yeah, it has grown. Uh, without a doubt, it has grown so much in, in recent years and and. I think it was only three or four years ago or maybe around that time when we couldn't feel two different teams to play a match against each other. And now we had hmm. recently, we had a whole tournament where I think five or six teams were playing. So you can, you can imagine the number of players which has increased over the, num- of, over the last few years. Uh, also, we played, a, we played a domestic tournament, a 10-over tournament, which was hosted by our board. So we had the women's exhibition game just before the men's final. And the women's Women's game had more viewership than the men's final. <laughs> that, uh, it, yeah, and it was a brilliant game. Went down to the last over. Then they were not supposed to have the the super over. But then they uh, then the director and we all agreed that, that you know this game should get a result. So they had a super over. Uh, so it was a, it was a brilliant game of cricket, and it was nice how all of us from the men's team as well were were supporting the women's. Our our different coaches were in different dugouts. Uh, it was it was just really nice to see that. And and even when later on the numbers came out, it was it was even more pleasing. And one other thing that you mentioned uh, in one of your other answers is that the UAE under nineteens men's team is at a World Cup right now. Um, how are those guys going? And I guess are you guys all keeping a close eye on on their performances? Yeah, I mean, we have to. I mean, personally, I'm as I said. I mean, I I like watching our boys and men. Uh, you know, our girls play because, firstly, they're our own. So, and with the under 19s, we we are obviously keeping an eye on. You know, players doing well. I mean, because if you look at the scorecard and you can see a player scoring a hundred, but you don't see the player getting that sixty runs, which was more impactful than that hundred. And it's always the case. If you only look at the scorecard, you will never you'll never find out that. You know who had the real impact in that game. So, and luckily again, this these that match was being live streamed on ICC TV. So, so yeah, I was glued to the TV, watched every single ball of that game. And you know, uh, I mean, it was a good game for, for us. We won, started our campaign with a win against Canada. Uh, but I was more, uh, we should have won by a bigger margin. 
uh, and that's exactly what I told Alishan. I mean, that you know, we we should have been clinical with our performance once we were on top. We allowed the Canadians back, and you know, eventually the win difference was not much. I think but because again, in a, in a in a in a group stage, you never know. I mean, we could beat. I mean, England has beaten Bangladesh. We could beat England. Bangladesh could beat us, and then you know, you could be out on run rate, and then you'll regret on the game. Uh, you know, where you had the opportunity to to close out the game and you didn't. So these these things, I mean. They're still young, but they have to be, uh, you know, uh, learning all about this. Yeah. And uh, as you mentioned, they've got uh, games against England and Bangladesh coming up. And for an associate nation, these are, are, are huge games, even at, even at a senior level. So have you sent any advice over to the boys in, in the West Indies as to how to approach those, those big games? Um, I think playing the Asia Cup just before they left for the World Cup was really important. So, so our boys played against uh, India, Pakistan, and Afghanistan. I think we were only blown away against uh, the Afghanistan, and that also was with the bat. I think we bowled really well. We got them out for 190 or something, and that should have been an easy chase at the, at the ICC Oval One because it's a belter of a wicket, good outfield. You get really good value for your good shots there. So that's the change we've seen over the last few months with this batch and few years when last time we we didn't beat uh, south africa and we were we lost to south africa because of rain because we were just behind the uh, the duckworth lewis method so that belief has changed now because we believe that we can beat them and even against pakistan we were in a great winning position and you know we lost a couple of wickets and then there was a collapse we came back again we but we, we lost pakistan by by a very very small margin but that really helped in us believing that we can beat these teams and they are no different. And the only thing I tell them is, you know, for example, if Virat Kohli is playing the under-19, he's not Virat Kohli. He's just a 19-year-old kid. That Virat Kohli will come after 15 years. So you're not playing against Virat Kohli or Rohit Sharma or, or any of those players. You're not playing against Babar Azam. They become Babar Azam after 10 years in international cricket. So it's eventually just a game of a ball and a bat. If you start believing you can beat them, all these teams are beatable. All these teams. There's no one who's, you know, beyond your level. When these guys played against, I mean, India, Pakistan and Afghanistan, I mean, the chat around the group was that we should have at least won two games out of those three because we weren't in a position of winning those two, two teams. And the chat around the team when they played against India was that India's bowling was the easiest to face. I mean, that's the belief in this in this squad. So I know these are big games, but they're mentally so ready and because of that Asia Cup, it has helped them to believe in themselves that they, if they could face that kind of bowling, they can face any bowling and, uh, you know, they, they, sh- they should be able to, to beat England after tomorrow. Well, that's, um, that's a good place to the chat about the UAE and, and the under-19s and, and all the work that's going on in, in terms of development. Just looking back over the last year or so in, in cricket, um, you know, this is a a start of the year program so just give us some of your highlights uh in the emerging cricket world over you know in 2021 um, both from the uae and uh you know from other teams um i think personally speaking from a uae's point of view i think we were part of just two series last year but what we did in those series was really important for for a lower ranked team or a, for, for an associate member because we beat ireland you know at the start of the year then we beat ireland again in the t20 series then if you look at the associate cricket i think the way associate cricket played against the big members or you know the so-called big teams in the world cup uh you know in the first round when when scotland made it and namibia you know made it through i think those were biggest highlights uh you know for me from the from the associate cricket uh, point of view and the level of cricket they played at the world cup they got a lot of praise a lot of good cricketers you know finally got the praise which which they deserved but again if you if you're playing and you know no one's watching no one's going to pay attention to to it hopefully these I mean, now obviously the World Cup is going to come around more often, but I hope they they increase the number of teams and they 
and you don't have to play another round of qualification before you get to the World Cup. Uh, I think Oman uh, was was really good in the World Cup and meeting those players last month in in Namibia they were really upset that they didn't beat Bangladesh over there because they were in a position to beat them mm. and it was just that one partnership if they had got uh, you know they lost I think they lost Ishan at a very wrong stage because Jatinder was batting so well they they really deserved to go through and uh, you know Bangladesh didn't do didn't do much at the at the main event they lost all the games and they were bundled out for 70 or 80 runs or something in in i think couple of games that's the problem that they get away with this and if if that had happened to an associate country playing in the world cup then all these pundits will come up and say that you know they don't deserve to be in the, at this stage whereas they forget that we don't play ashwin every day we don't play bumrah every day we don't play uh, you know 90 miles per hour every day if we play more often that cricket we will get better so we we get one shot against the big members at the world cup at the biggest stage and we are judged on that one ball we face against ashwin where we've never faced him in our lives that's the problem that we get judged so quickly and and the other teams i mean right now the way england played the ashes they are not going to get anything like that but if if i know ashes is a totally different story but but associate cricketers they get judged very quickly associate teams they get judged very quickly i think if that stops and the other countries they start promoting or supporting uh, associate cricket i think it will help the world cricket going forward Yeah you you've got uh, one Englishman and one Australian in the room so perhaps we should uh, avoid the, the the topic of the ashes. <laughs> yeah, we should we should park the ashes topic right there. <laughs> maybe maybe England should lose their test status is that what you're saying? Uh that that might be uh <laughs> <laughs> Well if it was an associate country you would have asked them to not to compete against the big team so maybe uh, England should not compete against Australia and Australia. <laughs> yes yeah, so that there's a, a a much broader topic there about um the fairness of the future tour program that I think that might be perhaps too long for this episode of the pod. <laughs> well um um in terms of the year coming up what are some of the uh the highlights you mentioned you've got the the qualifiers for the T20 World Cup uh in about a month or so and that's going to be very exciting with um with eight teams uh, fighting it out for just two places it's it's as you say it's going to be brutal like all associate cricket what's next after that as well Yeah so we we've got uh, we are playing our first game on February 18th so exactly a month away from today so yeah we're really looking forward to that and uh, can't wait to be there and um, you know to make it to the world cup and it's it's high time that we do that now uh, because I, uh, I think if you don't make it to the world cup the world doesn't pay attention to your cricket at all so we really need to make it uh, to the world cup and we the players who were part of the 2019 squad they all know the importance and they all need they all know that you know winning those those crucial moments uh, are so important in these qualifiers and so yeah hopefully we do that and uh, right after that we have two of uh, our world cricket league series lined up that's right after um, the qualifiers then summers again we are going to be busy with our world cricket league because as i said earlier we are, we're really way behind our schedule with the number of games we've played and as compared to the other uh, other teams in our in our league and hopefully that will follow with uh, the asia cup and uh, and hopefully the world cup in in the winter Well, uh, Ahmed Raza, good luck with all the fixtures in the year coming and thanks very much for your time on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Thank you so much, guys. It's been really fun and uh, hopefully we can do this uh, again after we make it to the World Cup. Indeed. I look forward to seeing you there. Good night and good evening to the different part of the world. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Paul Redley, sports writer for The National in the UAE. You're listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Well, Tom, thanks for hanging back after the fantastic interview with Ahmed Raza. 
we're just going to do a quick kind of review of, of 2021, uh, just talk about some things we liked, some things we didn't like in the year just gone by and look a bit ahead to uh, to what's coming up in the year coming. I'll start us off with something that I liked, a bit of a surprising one in that uh, we weren't expecting to see them, but Kenya coming into the Kubuka tournament and just winning the whole thing out of nowhere. Uh, fantastic performance from Sarah Watoto taking six wickets in the final to, to beat Namibia. That was exciting stuff. But uh, yeah, Kenya's uh, periodic appearances on, on the world stage are always nice to see. Um, and, and then winning the Kubuka tournament in Rwanda was was a yeah real highlight for the year. Yeah, the, the, the Kubuka tournaments are... I think increasingly competitive and they are, are becoming a fixture of the, the women's cricket calendar, which is, is great to see. Uh, and it's it's very nice to have a, a variety of teams from around Africa getting the opportunity to compete in them. Yeah, and one of the interesting things is that there's been some chat of getting uh, someone like a Brazil into the tournament, which I think would be quite interesting to see where they are in, in terms of measuring them uh, against the best teams in Africa, but also just good to get you know more cricket uh, from around the world, and you know, if it does turn into a, a kind of worldwide event, I think that would that that'd be really exciting. Yeah, there are there aren't too many tournaments where you get those cross region games. I suppose we have the the Commonwealth Games qualifier uh, going on currently, which Kenya are also competing at. So we we get an idea of where Kenya stand compared with Malaysia. But other than that, those kind of games are very rare. So they're very fascinating when they do happen. Would be great to see. So. One of my highlights of the year was having three new members join the ICC. Mm. So we had Mongolia, Tajikistan and Switzerland. Switzerland having their application re-accepted, having spent nine years outside the ICC. But to have the associate cricket community grow from, from 92 to 95, I thought was a, a highlight of the year for me. Yeah, uh, it's one of the positive news stories, I, g- I guess, uh, in, a, in a year where we saw some bad decisions from the ICC, which we might get into in a minute, but um, yeah, I, I think Tajikistan especially is is an interesting one. Uh, cricket seems to be growing quite well um, in that in that part of the world, being pretty close to Afghanistan. I guess with the politics um, of the new government in Afghanistan, uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes because the the Tajiks uh, and other ethnic minorities under the Taliban in the past have um, had a hard time of it. So I don't know if that kind of outreach is going to continue but um yeah up until recently Tajikistan was was a, a really encouraging place for cricket and and I think a sort of overlooked opportunity for the game um and same same with Mongolia actually you know the um, where there was a really good piece from Shonak on the Emerging Cricket website about um you know as often happens it's people who've traveled to a cricket playing nation and and brought the game back and and, and they love it so that should be really interesting too to see where Mongolia goes. Yeah, it'd be it'd be nice to see them play their their first fixtures as ICC members this year. We'll we'll see if that, that comes to fruition. There will be some World Cup qualifiers coming up, and perhaps we can see them involved. Switzerland have already had a couple of games in the Valletta Cup last year, but to see those those new members getting involved and playing some international cricket would be a really nice thing to see in twenty twenty two. My next highlight for 2021 has been Namibia, just uh, the, the men's team and the women's team, actually. They, they appeared in a couple of things and, and did pretty well. But um, just the fact that Namibia are playing quite a lot of cricket, um, they obviously, the men's team uh, grabbed the headlines you know, by qualifying for the World Cup uh, in, the, in the T20 format. But um, yeah, they played a lot of cricket at home over their 
sort of domestic season and um, they streamed a lot of it. So we were able to uh, see JJ Smith going wild, beating the likes of Zimbabwe and South Africa emerging side and as well as Uganda and um, a number of South African domestic teams, which, which they played. So I think just Namibia has been quite impressive in the way they've um, got on the field quite a lot and, and also their development programs over the years. So yeah, Namibia, a highlight for 2021. Yeah, uh, the same for me. They they've found a little spotlight and they've really shone when it's been on them. Uh, they've obviously prepped very well. They've had all those series at home, and then when it came to the World Cup, they were definitely the surprise story for those perhaps not following the associate game. And of course, in making the Super Twelves of the World Cup, they've qualified for the twenty twenty two one as well automatically. So they'll be off to Australia later in the year, which I'm sure will be great. Yes, very much looking forward to seeing uh Herod Erasmus and, and the guys in person. Uh, so I think another nice highlight is that we have both sets of World Cups set to expand. We had the news for both of those in the last year, the 2020 World Cup will be expanding to 20 teams as of 2024. And the ODI World Cup is going back to being a 14-team event starting 2027. So positive news for associate teams everywhere. There's going to be more opportunities in, in, in World Cups to make those appearances on the world stage and really shine when they get there. Yeah, this is <laughs> one of those uh, bittersweet, I don't know, maybe just a, a small steps uh, situation You know, with the Cricket World Cup being back to 14 teams. 20 years after it had a 16-team event, it's still yet to match that, the 2007 team list. So small steps um, and even smaller steps on the women's side where it's you know being expanded, quote-unquote, to a 10-team event. I mean... That's just kind of silly. If you look at the amount of uh, teams that are ready to compete at that level, uh, it just doesn't really make sense to me. But um, trying to keep it as, as a highlight, yes, it is good that they've they've um, gone in that direction at least and, and there will be slightly more opportunities. Uh, I, I try to take the small wins where, where we can. And I guess uh, in, in terms of uh, small wins, the fact that the Cricket World Cup League 2 series have finally got back on the field after most of 2020 and then um, quite a chunk of 2021 uh, we saw Oman host a couple of series uh, against uh, Nepal, USA, Scotland and PNG Um, so just seeing all those guys back on the field and back playing 50 over cricket was really good and uh, hopefully they can as, as Ahmed Raza was saying hopefully they can manage to find a way to schedule all the games that have been postponed and delayed for various reasons you know <laughs> there was um way back at the start of 2020 Kaboos bin Saeed the the leader of Oman died at the tri-series there with Namibia and UAE and and that got postponed and then obviously the pandemic postponed a lot and then um they were trying to get back on for those games that were postponed uh with the UAE and Oman touring in Namibia and then the Omicron came along and that that was uh, just a couple of months ago so yeah we, we've had a hard time of it but just seeing Cricket World Cup League 2 was just really nice and, and seeing all the players and, and just getting back into the swing of, of associate cricket is um, hopefully we can see a lot more of it next year. Yeah and it was competitive before it went on hiatus and then when it came back it was competitive again and we saw some very excellent games Nepal and USA and Oman all took games off each other and then we had a very competitive couple of games between Scotland and Oman shortly after that so it will be great to see it back on hopefully that will be a a nice positive for 2022 again uh, that we'll hopefully see more of the of, of the 50 over league 2 it will continue to be as competitive as it has been. 
So my next highlight, a all-European affair, one that was very close to home, was the Netherlands opening series in the Cricket World Cup Super League, where they played Ireland. They had three very closely contested games and came out 2-1 winners against the full member, which was a very good result and a very good start to their campaign. They obviously haven't had a game since, although possibly the first... ODI against Afghanistan will have started by the time the podcast is live, but that was a, a very nice start to their campaign, and I hope they can keep their momentum up. Well, they did have half a game against South Africa before it um, it rained, and then the again the Omicron situation caused the the series to be. We're we're still not sure. They were saying postponed, and then they were saying cancelled. Uh, we we don't know what's going on with that. Yes, are they going to split the points? Nobody knows. But um, yes, as you say, the series against Ireland was um, it was really impressive, especially because they were playing without basically a middle order with a number of players uh, on county duty and and unable to to get time off to to play against Ireland. So that was good. And the pitches they played on were quite challenging um, down in Utrecht. Uh, which, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting to see uh, Ireland struggling so much as well against the Netherlands, um, which, you know, we've just seen Ireland win a series against the West Indies and they, of course, famously beat England um, in, in 2020. So, you know, the fact that the Netherlands were able to beat Ireland on a pretty tricky surface uh, with Ireland bowling quite well indicates that, you know, there is still a lot of competitiveness and, and a lot of parity between the lower ranked uh, full members and the higher ranked associates and that hasn't changed and I think it's a, a it's something that bears repeating and, and every time you know we see it on the field they're just getting better and better and it's so frustrating that they're having you know a number of opportunities cut. Uh, so my final highlight of the year came from the uh, women's T20 qualifier pathways and the America's regional qualifier in Mexico yeah, good one. where USA, Canada, Brazil and Argentina went head-to-head. USA came out on top, but it was a close tournament. USA, Brazil and Canada all took games off each other. And there were plenty of on-field highlights, which we got to see uh, from the lovely Reformer Athletic Club in in Mexico City. Yeah, that was a fun one. Um, Somewhat tempered by the fact that I was supporting Canada, who just perpetually disappoint um, every time. You, you get your hopes up. They just, uh, yeah, they, they just never quite seem to deliver when you want them to. Uh, losing twice to Brazil. Uh, very good effort from Brazil, of course. And I think Brazil, again, as, as we've talked about on the podcast quite a lot, they're one of the more impressive success stories of um, you know, developing the game outside of cricket's traditional centres. And hopefully we can see a lot more of them in, in the future. And, you know, on the USA side of things, I think the fact that they won using a team mostly made up of youngsters who've, who've just sort of graduated through the the youth system and you know they've grown up in America and they're using their own development pathways uh, bodes well for the future in terms of um, you know, getting a lot more quality players on the field yeah uh, perhaps more enjoyable as a neutral then <laughs> yeah very good for the region good to see the the game developing Argentina also involved but didn't win a game but from the previous qualifier where it was just the USA and Canada going head to head in a three match series having four teams play a double round robin was a, a really big step forward and very enjoyable to see well now it's time to come to some of the um the less good things that happened in the year. And just on that tournament, the ICC's uh, streaming services uh, have been uh, patchy. Um, the fact that they're happening is, I mean, I guess you could say that is a highlight uh, because as, as Ahmed Raza said, you know, in, in the interview, it's, <laughs> it's taken its sweet time to get you know, any of these lower level ICC tournaments, any kind of coverage and, and having them all 
on the ICC app and, and being streamed was, was a, a great step forward. But the fact that it just has been so dodgy, you know, cuts out the UI is quite bad. The matches just get deleted as soon as they're finished. So you can't go back and watch games. It's, it's it needs a lot of improvement. Um, so yeah, good that it's up there and that they are actually uh, broadcasting these games, but bad that it's just being done to such a, a low quality. Yeah, it's, it is something, but it is more often than not a frustration, I, I would say, um, especially with the, the stream quality either being very low or occasionally non-existent. And that affected a number of tournaments, non, not the least the, the Women's World Cup qualifier, which I think we'll get to in a moment, but not being able to see those really high impact games is very frustrating. And I think it's been said before, but if Dan Weston and the, the European Cricket Network team can create a high quality stream from basically anywhere in Europe, I don't see why the ICC can't be creating a similar quality from, well, anywhere else in the world, really. Well, and I mean, this is rolling into one of my lowlights, but the fact that the ICC is now getting involved in um, the crypto and NFT world, just uh, come on, you know, where's where's your priorities? Like, are they spending money on improving their stream beyond the bare minimum? Or are they spending money getting on the bandwagon of, of NFTs, which, I mean, you know, if they want to sell digital collectibles as well as flogging photographs and, and signed shirts or whatever, I mean, that's fine but just think about the priorities it shows and and where their heads at as an organization i've i've talked about this on a number of occasions about a, n- a number of things but it just it's just shows again the icc's so confused you know what what are they as an organization why are they doing this why are they you know focusing resources on this they're hiring for an nft department when so many staff have left over the last few years they've lost a lot of experience of you know of combined development workers and and it's just frustrating that they're in my opinion wasting time with something as as frivolous as <laughs> as nfts which you know I, I we don't need to get into the problems with nfts i don't necessarily hate them conceptually but just for a world governing body i just think it shows a, a complete lack of of clarity about what their mission is yeah i, I won't express my views on nfts uh, this is not a technology podcast and it's not, uh, they are not positive views, but I do agree if the ICC is spending money on this, if it's employing people to do this when, you know, it's struggling to run a World Cup qualifier tournament at the same time, you do have to ask whether they are a, a sport governing body or a social media platform. And sometimes I think it, they are the latter. Well, and again, this is something we've discussed a number of times, but the organization has just been so hollowed out in terms of its um, remit of growing the game. It is, as a number of commentators have called it, you know, Gideon Haig sort of made this point that it's basically been reduced to an events management company for, for the full members. And um, as, as much as there are a number of people at the ICC, and I've talked to them who, who are genuinely committed to growing the game and um, the people working in the development side of the things, I just wish that the other you know, they could talk to people down the hall or in the next office over or just get some level of communication and, and coherence about their plan happening because it's just such a confused organization and, and nobody seems to know why they're there or, or what. Why, why does the ICC exist, you know? Is it just a management company for events? Maybe, but no, no, one, no one seems to have any, any idea. Yeah, and I think that, that leads on um, to, to the next one. I think we often... Uh, feel the ICC either takes with one hand and gives with the other 
or perhaps the left hand does not know what the right hand is doing. But the scrapping of the Cricket World Cup Super League, the announcement of that that went very much under the radar as they simultaneously announced expanding the, the World Cup to 14 teams, it's a real blow and it hurts. Well, it, it hurts the associates in Cricket World Cup League 2 who no longer have the opportunity to get promoted and get those fixtures against the full members. But it also hurts the three least established full members, Zimbabwe, Afghanistan and Ireland, the Netherlands, the sole associate in, in the Super League, because those fixtures which the ICC has scheduled for them as part of the Super League, they'll no longer have that advantage and they're going to have to go back to, you know, pleading with the, the, the more established members to get those higher profile fixtures. So, yes, give with one hand, expand the World Cup and take with the other, get rid of the Super League. Well, and obviously it's detrimental to the associate um, slash emerging game, but it's detrimental to full member cricket as well because this obviously this means that we're just going back to, you know, random bilateral ODI series that mean nothing as opposed to qualification for the world cup being on the line or you know at the lower end relegation battles happening that's something that as a fan you can easily understand and you can sell that to to broadcasters and you <laughs> pulled rights is another kind of perennial hobby horse of, of the emerging cricket movement but just thinking about as as a fan trying to get into cricket if you're watching a random bilateral series and you know what's this for what does this do nothing they're just randomly there whereas if you're watching ireland beat the West Indies to stay out of the relegation zone. That's something, as a fan, uh, you, you have some familiarity with and, and, and it makes all these games more interesting and, and it means there's something actually riding on them. Whereas, yeah, going back to the Victorian era, oh, yeah, we'll just go over on a steamship and, and play some games and, and like... Uh, it's just frustrating, as you say. You know, <laughs> takes with one hand and, and gives with the other. It's uh, yeah, it, it is annoying. Yeah, and I guess that kind of goes into the uh, the the lowest of all low lights from last year, which is the women's cricket World Cup qualifier, where Thailand really got ripped off. Omicron, as we've mentioned a couple of times, uh, started appearing, and and a lot of the teams got spooked in terms of trying to go home before. Potential travel bans came up, uh, which was understandable for, for a tournament being held in Zimbabwe. But pulling the pin mid-tournament, you can kind of understand, given the situation and, and trying to organise a, a cricket tournament with teams flying around the world is, is difficult at the best of times. But the fact that they didn't bother trying to you know postpone it, and I mean, they could have held it as a, as a preliminary round at, at the World Cup or um, had some kind of playoffs or, or just something to try and get a result on the field and, and instead they just went with the the laziest uh, least effort way of deciding it on rankings which is absurdly unfair on Thailand who not being an ODI status nation were not allowed to have ODI ranking points because they're not allowed to play ODIs so it's it's just an absurdly unfair way and um, Thailand were of course guaranteed to progress to the super sixes of that tournament which I mean with points carried forward from the group stage where they beat let's remember two full members in Zimbabwe and Bangladesh the chances of Thailand ending up in the top five and qualifying for the ICC Women's Championship were pretty high uh, and even you know they would have been in with a pretty good shot of, of making the top three and getting to the World Cup so yeah I think it's just very very frustrating to see that they just basically robbed Thailand due to as we've talked about, the, the ICC's just 
lack of vision, you know. They couldn't think about a way to organise a series or a playoff or, or, or something. You know, even even organise a playoff between Ireland and, and Thailand to get into the, the last spot in the uh, the women's championship or, you know, just anything to get on the field or, or you know, run run the women's championship in two divisions of six to get to get more teams involved or, you know, there, there's so many ways you could do this. But, you know, <laughs> apparently the ICC is too busy trying to get into crypto. Yeah, there's uh, there's plenty you said there. You you covered the bulk of it, but it's the 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 lack of ingenuity to do something about it. Yes, we got less than a quarter of the way through the tournament before we had a serious outbreak of Omicron, and there wasn't anything they could have done about that. The tournament probably did have to be cancelled at that point. But there's yeah, the, the long term impacts for Thailand not being in the World Cup or not being in the Women's Championship is when they were on such a run and when they were had such momentum, it's it's painful. And, you know, the, the decision to remove ODI status from the qualifiers for the for the games involving the associate members. Oh, there's another thing. Which, you know, if they'd used, if they kept that decision and if they'd used the rankings at the end of the tournament, not rankings that they took at the end of September, you know, Thailand still had a chance. It, there's just so many, so many things they could have done. There could be a second division for the women's championship. They, they could have been a, 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 you know, a pre-qualifier in New Zealand. They could have done many of these things, but they just did nothing. They sort of went on a three-month-old rankings to which four of the teams just weren't involved. Well, yeah, that's not. <laughs> I mean, Ireland only have a ranking because they were pummeled in 2018. I mean, this is not a criticism of Ireland. Um, I think Ireland being involved in the women's championship uh, was is, is fantastic, and and it'll be great for their cricket. But the the criticism is the fact that going back to an ODI that was played three years ago, where they got flogged by a historic amount, is kind of an absurd way to say that they're a better ranked team than Thailand, who you know, as as I just said, beat two uh, full members in the tournament already and yeah as you say the ICC had previously said that the qualifying tournaments would have status and they've gone out of their way to withdraw it it's just yeah just a mess and I mean think about how circular it all is the only way to get on the ICC ODI rankings is to play ODIs but the only way to play ODIs is to have ODI status and the only way to have ODI status is to be on the rankings so it's just this yeah, it's, we can make a whole other pod about this, and, and we kind of already did. But, um, yeah, uh, it, it just one of the worst uh, decisions I think I've seen the ICC make, and they've made a number of bad decisions over the years. Yeah, and uh, it wasn't Ireland's fault. Ireland got a lot of flack, but they, they did earn their status at the 2017 World Cup qualifier when they were they were still an associate member. And, you know, that, that carried through, that got them on the rankings table and that ultimately got them in, in the Women's Championship. But yeah, the, it's just the, the, the lack of creativity. And it goes for the Super League as well. They didn't have to, they didn't have to bin off the Super League in the way they did and go back to a flawed ranking system, but they did. And, you know, they just for a little bit of creativity. Well, and not just creativity, they could be saving money, you know. There's ways that they can do the women's championship that could actually technically involve less matches than, than what they're doing now. So, currently, they've got 45 series in a 10-team round robin. If they go to 12 in, say, two conferences of six or two divisions of six, that's 15 series per conference for a total of 30 rather than 45. So, they're potentially saving money by doing it and they're, they're just not thinking about these things. I, so, I, yeah, I just don't understand why there is no one... Yeah, as you say, there's just no creativity, there's no, there's no thought, there's no coherent vision and and 
Ah, oh, cricket doesn't help itself. I think is the cliche. Um, but uh, yeah, very very frustrating. One step forward and two steps back. Yeah, that that seems to happen a lot. But yes, um, sorry, listeners, that we're finishing the podcast on a on a downer note. But um, you can look forward to hearing our cheery thoughts about cricket coming up in in the year ahead. Daniel Beswick, I believe, will be let out of uh, hotel prison uh, within a couple of weeks, and uh, the BBL cave. The, yeah, the BBL cave, exactly. Um, I wonder if he saw Novak Djokovic in his uh, in his hotel prison. Um, but uh, yes, the main pod will be returning very soon. Hopefully, this uh, holiday special tides you over uh, and, until the uh, the regular schedule can resume. But uh, thanks a lot for listening, and thanks a lot for joining us, Tom. Been a great pleasure having you on the show. Thanks very much. Been been great to be on.